If we work on marble, it will perish. If we work on brass, time will efface it. If we rear temples, they will crumble to dust. But if we work on men's immortal minds, we engrave on those tablets something which time cannot efface and which will brighten and brighten to all eternity. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 278, The Advent of Ezra. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. What is faith? In what way is faith made manifest? We generally think of this word as referencing the way one thinks and feels about God. But Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik, remarkably, argued that for Judaism, faith is also manifest in our enthusiasm for educating others. In the Bible, the raising of a child is described through the verb omein, which Rabbi Soloveitchik argued is linked to the Hebrew word emunah, faith. The reason, he said, is that, quote, Judaism considers the act of education to be synonymous with the act of faith. The believer must be able to engage in a great educational task, to pick up the debris of a shattered world and reconstitute harmonious creation, to seize human talent and capability in an ongoing array of deeds, suffusing these powers with meaning and integrating them into a redeemed personality, end quote. And Rabbi Soloveitchik further adds that therefore the educator, quote, must have faith in God and at the same time, faith in man, end quote. That is why, for Rabbi Soloveitchik, Judaism believes the teacher, or in Hebrew, the Malamed, to be one of the great figures of Jewish society. And this is why one of the greatest men of faith rises in the Persian period, a man of faith not only in his understanding of the God of Israel, but also in his steadfast belief that Jewish restoration would come through teaching everyone the Torah of Israel. As we have seen, the creation of the temple in the age of Cyrus is almost immediately stalled, with two of the final prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, urging the Jews to resume the effort. Haggai and Zechariah's visions do ultimately have their intended effect. And in the sixth year of the reign of Darius, decades after the first Jewish ascension from Babylon to the Holy Land, the temple is completed. Yet in the midst of this success, the spiritual degeneration of biblical Israel continues. Israelites, including members of the priesthood, intermarry with members of the pagan populace. The last of the prophets, Malachi, Malachi, invades against the abuse of the poor and the dishonesty and corruption that occurs. Zerubbabel, the descendant of the Davidic dynasty, who had, during Cyrus's reign, led the original ascension, mysteriously disappears from the historical scene. And never again in the Second Temple period does the realization of a Davidic political leadership materialize. Darius is followed, ultimately, by King Artaxasta, who ascends the throne a good 70 years after Cyrus in 464 BC. The Jewish return to the land of Israel was destined to occur 70 years after the beginning of the Babylonian exile. And suddenly, seven decades after that, the Israelites in the land of Israel have gone back to the sins of the first temple. At this rate, the second Jewish commonwealth will disintegrate under the wrath of God, just as the first did. Disaster looms. And then, this is prevented by one of the most important leaders in Jewish history. In the seventh year of King Artaxasta, a Jew of the king's court decides to leave the diaspora and make Aliyah, intending not only to ascend to the land of Israel, but also to restore the Torah of Israel. 
Chapter 7, verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests, according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. And there went up some of the children of Israel, and of the priests, and the Levites, and the singers, and the porters, and the Nathanians, unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Ezra, in other words, seeks to head to the Holy Land in order to begin a spiritual and intellectual renaissance. And the king, Artaxasta or Artaxerxes, responds positively to Ezra's plea to return. Verse 11. Now this is the copy of the letter that the king Artaxerxes gave unto Ezra the priest, the scribe, even a scribe of the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, unto Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace and at such a time. I make a decree that all they of the people of Israel and of its priests and Levites in my realm, which are of a mind of their own free will to go up to Jerusalem, go with thee, for as much as thou art sent of the king and of his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem, according to the law of thy God, which is in thine hand, and to carry the silver and gold, which the king and his counselors have freely offered unto the God of Israel, whose habitation is in Jerusalem. And all the silver and gold that thou canst find in all the province of Babylon, with the free will offering of the people and of the priests, offering willingly for the house of their God, which is in Jerusalem, that thou mayest buy speedily with this money bullocks, rams, lambs, with their meat offerings and their drink offerings and offer them upon the altar of the house of your God, which is in Jerusalem. And whatsoever shall seem good to thee and to thy brethren to do with the rest of the silver and the gold that do after the will of your God. Thus Ezra is supported in his aims, supported politically and financially by this king, Artaxasta, who seems somehow to love this man, Ezra, granting him full royal backing, not only politically, but with a full endorsement of Ezra's religious endeavors. He further says to Ezra, And thou, Ezra, after the wisdom of thy God that is in thy hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people that are beyond the river, all such as know the laws of thy God, and teach ye him that knows them not. It is Ezra's arrival that betokens the turning point. And this occurs because of Artaxasta, who for some reason has a profound affection for Ezra. Ezra will start a renaissance of Jewish observance, and he will soon be joined by another remarkable man, Nehemiah, Nehemiah. We will see in later lectures the manner in which this renaissance was launched. But for today, we must understand the important shift in Jewish history that Ezra's example makes manifest. Take note of the aspect of Ezra's resume that is cited by the Bible. The verse tells us about Ezra. He was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And we are further informed. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Meaning, Ezra's desire is to serve as scholarly guide and teacher. Ezra as leader embodies something entirely new because until this point, what is usually emphasized in biblical descriptions of spiritual leaders is those leaders' capacity for prophecy or some other form of divine inspiration. 
But what emerges here is a form of Jewish leadership that is different, one that will impact Judaism in the post-prophetic age for the next many thousands of years. Ezra, we are informed by Jewish tradition, was part of a larger group of spiritual leaders, a band of mysterious men, 120 in all, known as the Anshe Knesset Hagdolah, the men of the Great Assembly. It will be they whose ordinances will mark so much of rabbinic Judaism today, in liturgy, in synagogue service, and so much else. And first and foremost, what Ezra and his comrades do is establish a culture of learning and teaching. To them, the Mishnah ascribes the mantra, Ha'emidu Talmidim Harbe, establish many students. Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik describes this development, one of the most important in Jewish history. He writes, quote, The prophets were divine messengers who were charged with a specific task, delineated and circumscribed by God. No departure was tolerated and complete conformity was demanded. The prophets were not free people who could reach their own decisions. They acted according to divine dicta. Their immediate concern was not the present, but the distant future. With the exception of isolated episodes, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and others always beheld the messianic vision. They prophesied the acharit hayamim, the last days, the days of fulfillment and complete realization, which will bring about the merger of the Masorah community with that of the politia, the establishment of the divine kingdom, malchut shamayim. They developed the blueprint of messianic aspirations and eschatological anticipations. End quote. Rabbi Soloveitchik here is touching on a point that we made in our discussion of the political leaders in Esther. Up till now, Israel was instructed by prophets who acted specifically based on divine demand, not political and social intuition. And when it came to the future, with a few exceptions, the prophets presented the Israelites with visions of the end of days of Malchut Shemayim, which is the ultimate eschatological kingdom of heaven. But the sages that made up the mysterious great assembly have a slightly different focus, which is how to ensure that Torah study and Masorah transmission and religious observance become part of daily life and enshrined in the humble Jewish home. Rabbi Soloveitchik thus further adds, quote, Hence, while the prophets challenged the people to build the Malchut Shamayim and to continually and gradually move toward this goal, the scholars began to exercise a different calling. It was not only to reveal to the people the distant objective, but to chart the course of the present to put them into a historical mold out of which they emerge as a spiritual community, bound together, not by political ties, but by an existential all-awareness, as a fellowship with law within itself, not outside of itself, pushing forward from different directions toward the great goal set by the prophets. And Rabbi Soloveitchik adds, we know the pitiful state of affairs in which the exiles in Babylonia found themselves after the termination of the divinely decreed 70-year period of exile. Yet we also know of the fortitude and heroism of the people after the destruction of the Second Commonwealth and their triumph over all despots and demagogues who tried to obliterate Jewish distinctness. The men of the Great Assembly were responsible for such a miracle, end quote. In other words, in creating a culture of education at the beginning of the Second Temple period, Ezra and his comrades fashioned a form of faithful community that even the destruction of the Second Temple could not undo. And this, in the end, is why Ezra matters so much. We have seen how some of the Jews at the beginning of the Second Temple were caught in the grip of nostalgia, remembering the brilliance of the First Temple. Their nostalgia marked a moment in which the supernatural would cease to be as manifest as it once was. Prophecy was coming to a close. 
The next few centuries would be in many ways an age of wonder, but not one of the massive miracles of, say, an Elijah. Ezra is one of Judaism's greatest leaders because his example illustrates how he understood what those mourning the first temple when the foundation of the second temple was first laid failed to see, that the word of God will always inspire and guide us, but we must be prepared to apply its eternal truths to new challenges. And his own worldview expressed a slightly different version of what Daniel Webster once proclaimed, which is that if we work on marble, it will perish. If we work on brass, time will efface it. If we rear temples, they will crumble to dust. But if we work on men's immortal minds, we engrave on those tablets something which time cannot efface and which will brighten and brighten to all eternity, end quote. The temple, of course, is central to Jewish aspirations, as its ultimate rebuilding is still. But Ezra's emphasis on education allowed the Jews to survive the destruction of the temple. And that is why he is one of the most important individuals in Jewish history and one of the greatest men of faith in the Bible. One might say, ladies and gentlemen, that the fact that we are now learning together on this podcast today means that all of us are in his debt. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together next week. Wishing you a Shabbat Shalom. Signing off.